1: Tiger Woods may forever be the face of golf. It's not unreasonable to think that the most iconic athlete of the last quarter century will not have a successor capable of filling his Nike's. A mythical figure, even as he was dominating the PGA Tour, he now hangs ever present over the horizon like the morning fog of an early morning round, popping in a couple times per year to walk the grounds of his most iconic victories. He remains vital in maintaining the status quo, actively fighting against the encroachment of live golf after turning down an obscene amount of money to defect. Yet the tour needs someone out there every week, serving as its avatar for all that's great about the game, wielding skill, guile, and affability with courage of conviction. Rory McIlroy has answered that call, out of necessity, yes, but also out of duty. With great success comes great responsibility. He is uniquely suited to lead fields on weekends and lead his colleagues during the week. As he capped a remarkable come from behind victory this weekend to capture his unprecedented third tour crown, there was no mistaking that the baton is on loan from Woods. There's finally an icon with the gravitas and temerity to grab it with both hands and sprint into the future. Watch any tournament and you cannot help but notice that the four-time major winner is the overwhelming fan favorite. Come victory or crushing defeat, the masses will ride with him. His supportive army could only watch as he surrendered a final round lead to Cam Smith at the Open. They could only wish he'd started his absurd Sunday push at Augusta a bit sooner. They never know exactly what they're going to get from him when the final leaderboard is revealed, yet they know he will be a significant player writing his own chapters of history, either as the main character or in a supporting role. Amid a frenzy of change and off-the-field drama, McElroy remained steady, finishing in the top 10 in all four majors this season and capturing 18 million on its culminating days with a performance for the ages. One could say they always saw this coming. They'd be lying. Because when McElroy was challenging Woods for podiums, he was not universally loved. His win share ate into Tiger's. There was the inevitable backlash to early triumph because the most human of impulses is to build up and then delight in the teardown. His rocket ship soared to unfathomable heights by the age of 25 before drifting a bit off course. Perhaps there won't be another major in his future. Perhaps the drought extends past nine years to 10 or 15. Perhaps it won't matter. This wasn't the career arc anyone was expecting. Yet perhaps it's more meaningful in the big picture that the kid from Northern Ireland has grown into a man capable of piloting the best golf league in the world toward a more productive future. He's someone the tour and its fans can be proud of, win or lose. Someone who finds time in the haze of euphoria to do something like seek out Scotty Scheffler's family and say that he's the one who deserved the moment. If golf civil war is to continue and there's no reason to think tensions will tail off anytime soon, cool headed generals, who can rally troops and lead from the front are of vital importance. And yes, my personal proclivities are no secret. I want the PGA Tour to thrive and grow and hope Liv falters on its own hubris. With clear eyes though, consider which product you'd prefer. The one with McElroy and his cadre of superstars fighting tooth and nail for treasured hardware or whatever is taking place at Donald Trump's fifth best resort any given weekend. It's fair to say that Liv landed a few body blows early on. It's also fair to say that McElroy bowed his back and carried a heavy weight on his shoulders, like a true champion. No one in the sport is better at erasing a deficit and instilling fear when he's chasing. So perhaps he's not the face of golf and won't ever be. Being its profile in courage, grit, and perseverance is a nice consolation prize, and one he's welcomed with open arms. College football is here, real college football, not Nebraska losing another week zero game. Scott Frost, what are you doing? Week one, it's right around the corner. Enormous games everywhere, like the marquee matchups for this one. I can't really believe, I can't remember an opening weekend that was this chock full of big games with big programs. But the start of the college football season also means it's time for another ultimate college football road trip sponsored by Dosakes with Fox Sports Charlotte Wilder you're back
2: man Kyle i'm i'm so excited i was so excited last year i was like and but there was also an element of just having absolutely no idea what it was going to be like because you know fox had never done this i had never done this it was it was a you know nine or i guess eight city stop Um, where we would go from campus to campus to campus um, over nine weeks. And then we tacked on one at the end where I married a couple at Texas A&M, which is a normal sentence that I'm sure everybody says at one point in their life. Um, And so I think that going into that, it was sort of this like, let's just see what happens because no one really had a reference. Um, And so this year, I'm so I'm so excited for this year. I like can't stop smiling when I talk about it, which sounds so corny and lame. But um, I think that something we know what works now, if that makes sense. It's like, you know, I had no idea that there was an appetite for videos of me like standing in the middle of marching bands. And people really, I think that, you know, college football more than anything is about home, is about emotion, is about connection. And so I think anything that's like, viscerally emotional um or extremely sensory is just you know people love it and i love it and so it was really fun to get to sort of be a part of that and try to use myself as the lens you know i I don't want to be the story but i want to be like if you can't go i'll go for you and maybe do wackier things than you would do so you can see it through my eyes without having to like put on a mascot costume
1: It's interesting that you say college football is about home because it is. That notion is kind of being challenged as you see the conference realignment as it tries to go more toward a pro model. I think there's some traditionalists like myself who are kind of afraid of what that's going to do, but also kind of see the handwriting on the wall that, you know, it's inevitable we're going to get there. So I think it's a great opportunity to show that all around the country, like you're going to some marquee games, but you could extrapolate these experiences out because it's like this everywhere on Saturday. And it's like this hidden gem where you never really know what to expect until you get there. Is that kind of like that storytelling ethos that you have where you just want to get in and kind of paratroop in and sink your claws and go all in? Because I'd imagine your content is better when you're fully committed.
2: Totally. Totally. I mean, I think I was thinking about it today, actually, you know, I leave this afternoon for Atlanta for um, the first game, Oregon, uh, Georgia. I was sort of thinking to myself, I was like, you know, there's this, I made some joke on a production call where we're talking about some of the things I'm going to do. And I was like, I'll just be a rodeo clown. Like, you know, and, but I think what it actually is, I think that's sort of doing the whole thing. You know, I'm obviously joking when I say that, but I, I do think that there's a very serious element of total commitment because when you go to these places um i can't do this half-assed you know like you you show up and the even you know even as things get less regional or the conferences are realigned in ways that aren't quite as down home or um cozy in some way as we would want them to be each school is still so intensely what it is and each fan base is so intensely different it was so strange last year you know i love covering nfl too but going from college football to a um who was it was bucks god why can't i remember who they play in tampa I, you know, I was sitting there in the press box and I was just like, Oh, these are entirely different sports. Like it's entirely different. There are things about the NFL. That's really fun to cover, but college football, you, I make a whole week's worth of content before we even get to the game. And then there's a whole week's worth of content from the game itself, but just the pomp and circumstance. And, you know, I think that I take very seriously wanting to honor the people who might be seen as sillier or, you know, the people who become the memes or whatever. Like, I I think that the marching band practice is just as hard as the football team does. And, you know, the people carrying the tubas are sweating for six hours straight during two days, and then they get out there and this is their big game too. And I think that there's something really moving about that. And so, I think to get in there and, and be willing to also carry the tuba or, you know, dance with the dance team and make it clear that I'm not making fun of them. Like I'm really just trying to experience what their lives are like and how much the sport means to them, because it's everything.
1: We tuba players appreciate that. I played it in middle school and no you know, way folks. The jokes came fast and furiously. There's a brutal one in Mr. Helen's opus that has stuck with me for years and haunted. So I thank you for your service. And yeah, that exactly. <laughs> very boring question here. What does the schedule look like? Like you get into town on what day is it nonstop? And how much of it is scripted versus kind of doing a little improv where, hey, this seems like a better opportunity than whatever we had planned.
2: Totally, pal. It's, it's not a boring question. It's sort of fascinating to me even. You know, it's like a bunch of puzzle pieces. Um, I get in, it's sort of a marathon because um, I get in Wednesday and then um, we'll sort of look at, we have production meeting Tuesday, look at, okay, here's what I think we're doing um, or who I think we've got committed. Um, and then Wednesday we get there and figure out anything that's changed last minute. Thursday we'll film... Like two to three features. Friday we'll film two to three features. Um, I do some sort of on the man on the street, on the man on this man, man on the street stuff um, at a bar on Friday. On Saturday we oh and I write something Thursday off of what we did that day. Then Saturday hit a bunch of tailgates and there's like a dose activation that I'll go to and do a little more man on the street stuff and then the actual game um which is just you know i sometimes i forget that there's a game i'm like oh my god there's still the actual thing has to happen <laughs> um and it's all a mix of planned and improv right like we can do our best to control what we can control and then you get there and you know the person who you thought you were going to do a story on ends up being not as interesting as another person there and so you sort of pivot or um You say like this thing, we're walking through campus and you see this, whatever it is. And it's like, oh, I think that's the story. Or someone tells you like, you have to go to this restaurant, you go to that restaurant. And then it turns out the owner's dad was the former coach's best friend and they take you to their house. And like it it so much unravels organically. And I think that we try to be really open to that. And I think one thing that I'm good at for whatever reason is making people feel like they can open up to us and we're not going to make fun of them and we're going to take their story seriously. And that is really helpful for, you know, getting us places we might not have otherwise been.
1: You know, last year was the first year where fans were back in mass after the pandemic. And I have to imagine you were kind of coming out of a work atmosphere where it was all from home and none of us were seeing people. Was there a learning curve in terms of like, human interaction last year that you think you're gonna gonna be able to sidestep this season because it's not as new and fresh.
2: That's so funny. Um, no, I think I think last year felt like a huge relief, honestly, less of a relearning and more of like a, oh my God, human connection. I mean, I get I get more anxious when I'm not super busy than when I am very busy um, for better or for worse. and I think that for me, I have sort of the opposite of social anxiety. Like I do, I think I get a ton of energy from people and, you know, then I'll crash and need to be alone for like 12 hours straight. um, Which is probably not very many for most people. But um, I think that for me, there was a real sense of like, Oh, wait a second. I can still do this. Um, And because it had been, you know, it had been almost two years of not really being in the field. And I think for me, what was so hard about the pandemic work-wise, you know, not, counting all the horrible things about it but was that my job i think there are some people who are much more x's nose or can can do their job exceptionally well off of the tv or off of not being immersed and for me um i think that so much of what i do is experiential Um, and is based on fandom and the connection people have to these sports and why they matter. And it was really hard not to be able to do that. I felt so it was like a sensory deprivation tank and getting back into it was just, it was like, Oh, you know, I'm okay. We're all okay. We're here.
1: (laughs) Going to Georgia the first week. um, Have you been there before?
2: I have. Yes. So I've been to Atlanta, um, for the 2018 Super Bowl is it um I was there for like 10 days and Super Bowl a city during Super Bowl week isn't really the city um because it becomes this like gated off maze of where you can and can't go and there are all these big structures built on scaffolding everywhere um but then I went to I went to Notre Dame at Georgia game in Athens and we're actually going to be we'll be this week we're Oregon, Georgia's in Atlanta, um, at Mercedes Benz stadium. And then, um, October 8th, I believe is in Athens. Um, and so it's sort of cool. I like, I'm glad that we're doing, you know, the neutral site games are sort of their own challenge for me because, um, we're not just on campus. And so you have to work a little bit harder to be give it that collegiate feel or make sure that you're talking to people about the school. But I think we've got some fun things planned, um, with local people there and, um, you know, the college football hall of fame. And so I'm, I'm feeling good about it, but it's so interesting, sort of the difference between, I think that, I think these neutral site games give it such an air of importance though, that sort of balances that out, you know, that we're going to see the teams walking in and they're walking into a pro stadium and it's like, Oh my God, the first game, you know, it's such a huge moment. So I think it's fitting that the neutral site is, is one like this.
1: What on campus spots are you excited about? Or do any have do any of them have special meaning to you?
2: I think going back to the places that we've already been, um, we're going back to Texas and we're going back to AM. It's such a I was at AM twice last year and it's the most bizarre place I've ever been, but I really came to appreciate it. You know, college station, it's literally a station where the train stopped and they built a school and a city around it, basically. And Kyle Field is the most Mind blowing stadium, I think I've ever seen. And, you know, I'm it was it was really cool to we were up close and personal with Miss Rev, the, you know, the rough collie mascot. She's the cleanest dog I've ever patted. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to see her. Like, that sounds so stupid, but I'm like, I really became friends with this dog. Um, and I think going back to Texas, I think going to places I've been before just feels really cool. Um, but then I'm so excited to go places I have, not I've always wanted to go to Michigan, never been to the big house. Um, and you know, I've got to go see Tom Brady's favorite pizza place. Um, Tennessee, I can't wait to see the sail and vol Navy. And, you know, when I first heard years ago, I was like, wait, Tennessee tailgates on boats. That's like my two favorite things. Um, and you know, weird little things. Like I also really want to see how they paint the checkered end zone. So, you know, these sort of just like weird things that are going around my head. I'm trying to think uh, we're going to the Rose bowl, which I've also never been to. So these sort of iconic places that um, feel a lot larger than life and sort of like a mythical, I can't quite believe I'm actually going to see them. If that makes sense. Like I think that the myth around college football in these places is so intense that sometimes I'm like, I'm going to be walking into my TV. So, you know, there's something really cool about that.
1: You know, I think that, you know, so much of what we do is so expert driven and people who have been in the industry for years and years and years, and they're inundated to being at these places that it doesn't even resonate with them. So they're not really accurate. They're not really reliable narrators for the experience that all these people are having right so you're able to go to places and have that fresh eyes and come with that sense of excitement because yeah you get there like you just mentioned seeing how the end zones are painted I hadn't thought about that before now I really want to see that like that's really cool like think of all the college football teams that have memorable end zones there's Notre Dame there's Tennessee USC with the Argyle Mm -hmm. like it's just these things that really stand out and they're nothing's cookie cutter and it's just like when you get someone that can be like hey i think this is cool i think that it gives permission for people at home to be like yeah this is cool like we don't have to pretend like it's not which it you know lots of times i think that like even the the public takes their cue from the media in terms of like i don't have to act like this is a big deal or like i don't want to be hokey or cheesy or given a tradition but that's exactly what college football is. Like that's part and parcel.
2: Well, thank you so much for saying that it's, that's really heartening to hear because I think sometimes I do worry um, or not worry, but you know, having a job where my career is built on like really putting things out there publicly that I feel very lucky to do something in a model that I don't think a ton of other people are doing. And I feel really lucky to be given the space to do that. Um, but it is a little nerve-wracking. You know, I think sometimes when I put these videos out, I'm like, oh, my God, are the people who don't like me sending these in texts to their friends? Like, and I try, I don't really dwell on that. It's more more of like every once in a while, it's like, are people saying I'm ridiculous? Like, I think, I think that there's a knee-jerk reaction to people enjoying something sometimes that other people are like, well, what a loser. Um, and I think that for the people who like it, it's like, oh, this is so refreshing because, we're allowed to be excited about things. And, you know, I, I just have no, someone, someone once told me they were like, you know, take off, like they said to somebody else, they're like, take off your cool jacket. Like who cares? Like, don't pretend that you don't think these things are. I I just have never been able to, I think, hide my enthusiasm or excitement. And so I was just like, well, let's lean in. And, and I also think that I've made, I think so much of sports media, can be built around keeping people out by accident. I think that a lot of people in our roles feel that they need to be the expert. And a lot of them really are the experts and I want their expertise. But I think as someone who, I feel like I've sort of been on the peripheral where it's like, let's explore things, let's learn new things, let's talk to people you might not normally my job is sort of to ask the obvious questions um, or to make it okay not to know something. And so I hope that that translates to viewers or listeners or readers being like, oh, cool. I don't necessarily have to know this too. And maybe it's because, you know, I came at this from a more general reporting standpoint. Like I was not, I didn't think I'd be a sports writer ever. Um, And so when I came into this, I was sort of looking at everything with fresh eyes. And I think I've still As much as i might know or have expertise i think i'm still good at looking at things remembering what it was like not to know and trying to bring along fans who might be you know more tertiary or not as ingrained in in the language or might not know what throwing into triple coverage means and if i can be like it just means that you threw to a guy who was like had three guys on him they're like oh you know i think a lot like little language cues even um If you're willing to make it more accessible, it becomes more accessible.
1: You know, when you look at what Fox Sports is doing with this project, with Ben Verlander and baseball, I think that the site and the company as a whole has tried a lot of different things on the digital side. And I think that this has been the most successful in terms of you put a personality out there, you really allow people the chance to get to know them so you have a face to it it's not just aggregated content that could come from everywhere else but it does take someone who's willing to be out there and play that specific role so how do you feel about getting that opportunity for something that feels honestly like if you created it in a lab it's like exactly one-to-one what you're good at and what you most thrive in i mean because, because that is spoiler alert not always the case in the digital space oh
2: you don't say <laughs> <laughs> um I think for me it's been I I sort it's sort of a pinch me thing to be honest with this project like I when I found out you know they told in in 2020 that this was going to be a thing or I think you know it was in the works for some time I was like what I was like, that's what I would have pitched. Like, that's my ideal situation. And I think that, um, you know, the people who I work for, um, you know, Nick Rago, Mike Bucklin, in, especially in designing this year in really playing it to my strengths and making sure that I feel secure in how we're doing it. And the team has been um, such a vote of confidence because yeah, I mean, you know, I think that, most of my career has sort of been like a game of the floor is lava where i'll get to a place and it's crumbling and then i need to hop somewhere else or you know like it's just a really tough industry and so to get somewhere where two years in a row i have something that's been really truly could not be more fitted to my skills and the fact that they No one's ever said like, hey, you need to do less of this or you need to chill out or you need to pull it back. They're like, just go for it. Like, this is what this is what you're good at. This is what we want you to do. So do it. And it's successful. Like, I think that that's what helps the whole thing is that we are proven right when the views are there. The interest is there. The following is there. Um, You know, we got nominated for an Emmy, which was like mind blowing to me. Um, but the fact that it translates to sort of outside success is such a validation of, you know, cause it's a lot of hard work. This is the best thing I've ever gotten to do. It's also definitely hands down the hardest. Um, and so I think that it's just super rewarding for it to do it again, even where they're like, yeah, that was too weird. Charlotte, we're going to, we're in the kibosh on this. And instead they're like, go do it. Be weirder. <laughs>
1: I'm just checking my notes here. I have two very important follow-up questions Please. to the stuff we discussed earlier. You mentioned a very clean dog at Texas A&M. Could mm-hmm. you give me like your top three cleanest dogs you've ever patted?
2: So Kyle, no. The problem is I've covered the Westminster Dog Show and you don't know how dirty your dog is until you go to the Westminster Dog Show or you go and you pat Miss Rev at A&M because the difference between a dog whose job is to be public and beautiful. And your dog, whose job is to be private and loved more than anything in the world, is that these dogs get bats way more than your dog does. Um, and that was really like the first thing <laughs> that stuck with me. I was patting Miss Rev and I was like, oh, my dog is filthy. <laughs> um, so it's things like that where it's like, oh, you don't know what you don't know until you, to see the professionals.
1: I never thought about that. It makes all the sense in the world. It's a
2: little um, depressing. It's a little depressing, but
1: no, nah, that's just dogs dogs supposed to live if they're in your house. You know, they dogs are so like, good. Like, you know, a show dog. They're literally called show dogs. They're for mm-hmm. show. They're not for working. Second follow-up question: you officiated a wedding. Um, tell me about being an officiant. What's your process there?
2: Oh, my process. Well. You know, I had two levels um, before 2021. One was to give a graduation speech and one was to officiate a wedding. And I got to cross one off. Um, I still have not given a graduation speech. I went through a period of time where I would tweet at my at the school I went to, Colby College, and be like, if you need someone, and they were like, I think they finally DM'd me and were like, look, we love the bit, but like, we're not going to make you the graduation speaker. And I was like, respect it.
1: And then they blocked. They blocked you.
2: Yeah, They're like to get a restraining order and an alumni. No, I think um, someday we'll get there. But marrying, I took it very seriously. Like, I wanted to know. I'm sat down with them. I was like, I want to know what you're about. I I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I think that that was the most nervous I was going into a shoot last year because I was like. I'm act like I'm marrying these people. Like this is the, you know, people are crying here. Um, and I think I, I put, you know, a few little Texas A&M jokes into the, into the vows or speech or whatever. And, um, when people laughed, I it was like, it, it was, I was crushing. I was on top of the world. Um, no, but they were great. It was, it was such a funny, um, experience. And then, you know, we, danced at the reception and it was crazy. It was crazy. It was on the practice field next to Kyle field. I mean, what what's going on?
1: Well, I asked because I could go get my wallet. It's in the other room. I could pull it out and I could show you my little purple universal life church. Yes. As an officiant. What
2: state are you?
1: Oh, I can do them all. I'm in really. The- yeah.
2: I'm only ordained in Texas, I think.
1: Oh, really? Oh, well, no, I I think universally.
2: Really? I'll edit all this
1: out, but I think you can do it anywhere. It's it's the name. It's in the name. It's universal.
2: Well, you know. Well, there are some
1: strange rules, I guess, but.
2: Don't edit this out. Don't edit this out because I want the people in Texas to know that I'll be there on September 10th and November 5th if anyone in the Austin or College Station area is looking to get married. Just tossing that out there.
1: I like it. I like it. Always be selling, always be closing. Yes. That's Charlotte Wilder of Fox Sports. She's embarking on the ultimate college football road trip sponsored by Dos Equis. College football is here. I hope you have fun. I know you will. We're looking forward to the content as always.
2: Thank you so much, Kyle. Well, I will do my best to provide it.
1: As you heard in the last segment, college football's first real weekend is just around the corner, so it's time to wrap up all those annoying tasks around the house before solely committing to deepening the imprint on your couch. Kirk Herbstreit, who is on the call for Notre Dame Ohio State on Saturday night, took part in a media call yesterday looking forward to the season and was asked a question that's been in the back of some media nerds' minds for a while. Will College Game Day's mascot head tradition continue whenever it enters the post-Lee Corso era? Now, anyone betting the under on however long Corso keeps on jamming his head into those sweaty things should remember his not-so-fast warnings, because at 87 years old, he's still a vital and celebrated element of a show synonymous with college football. But that singular place does make it a bit harder to imagine there will be an heir apparent. Quote, I've thought long and hard about the headgear, Herbstree said. I feel like that's a Lee Corso thing. And I think, depending on who you talk to, you might get varying opinions. I've sat next to him. This will be my 27th year. And I can't imagine when Lee decides to step down another person putting on that headgear. I most definitely will not ever put on a headgear. Whoever that person is, I can't imagine them feeling comfortable being asked to put on a headgear. End quote. There's something to both sides of this argument. Keeping it as an homage done tastefully would allow Corso's shadow to remain a beloved part of the show. Any potential successor to the bit, whether it be a guest picker or a full-time member of the crew, will face an uphill battle because, well, that's definitely a Lee thing. The worst possible sequence of events would be keeping it going and having the masses rise up with backlash and then hastily sunset it. Considering how much the masses don't like new things, it's a very real risk. Personally, I agree with Herb Street's feelings, even if I've never had the experience of sitting down and thinking long and hard about headgear. Something about someone other than Corso doing it just doesn't sit right. Hopefully, it's a decision to be made well down the road. One last thing before we go. It's with a heavy heart that I come to you this morning, hat in hand like some sort of state trooper, to inform you that we lost a lot of good pasta sauce to our nation's highways this week. Seeing a delicious red or white cut short before it could reach its prime or realize the joy that comes with cascading over penne or farfowl is simply devastating. In Memphis, Tennessee, tractor trailers stuffed to the gills with creamy alfredo sauce spilled its contents all over I-55 like an overly exuberant Olive Garden line cook. It was horrifying, yet oddly appetizing. This came as a country was still on its heels, reeling from the senseless calamity in California on Monday when a produce truck carrying perfectly ripe tomatoes crashed through a highway median barrier and turned an interstate into an edible nightmare. One more incident and we have a certified New York Times trend piece dropping. Perhaps Arthur Fleck was right and it is getting crazier out there. I'm not a particularly religious person, but back to back chaos like this simply has to be a sign from above or some weird, actually not-so-bad plagues. One thing is clear, any trucker transporting pesto, bolognese, or the components of cacio e pepe needs to have their head on a swivel out there today and their foot ready to mash the brakes. It's been a bad week for those who want to see pasta sauce have a safe, uneventful journey from garden to table. People are understandably on edge. Take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the sauce.